Welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan, chatting to some of the UK's leading business professionals, sharing tips, insights, and advice on how to create amazing customer experiences whilst building bigger, better, and more profitable businesses as a result. What can you do in your business today and in the years to come to truly delight your clients? What exceptional experiences can you give them to take away and cherish? How can you delight the most important person in the world? Satisfaction makes you one of many. Delighting clients makes you the only one. And you can't be just one. You have to be the only one. Hello and welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan. And today I've got a fantastic guest for you who's seven weeks away from having a baby, which is absolutely fantastic. I'm so uh, delighted that she's able to take the time for me. This person is an international keynote speaker and award-winning entrepreneur and is widely regarded as the go-to source on customer engagement and retention. She's been invited to speak to organizations across the world, including American Express, WeWork, Inc., and the United Nations, and has published more than 350 thought leadership articles for media, including Forbes, Adweek, and Success. She's also been featured on CNBC, Bloomberg, NBC, CBS, and The Shark Tank. She co-founded, scaled, and successfully exited the Superfan Company, a fan engagement business whose roster included Walmart, Disney, Amazon, Luke Bryan, and Katy Perry, to name a few. She's also been named in Advertising Age's 40 Under 40 list, Inc.'s 35 Under 30 list, and Billboard's 30 Under 30 list. As well as being a Guinness Book of World Record holder, she was once the mascot for a radio station. Please welcome Brittany Hodak. Brittany, hi, how are you? Hi, James. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. Well, I'm I'm just delighted that you you're able to uh it was so so close to having a baby, you're actually still working, which makes you a super mum in my view. Oh, thank you, thank you. You know, I'm I'm just about to get to the point of where I'm not comfortable traveling on planes anymore. So uh-huh. for the next few weeks I'll be mostly writing and catching up with friends like this. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun few week period before baby arrives. Fantastic. Brittany, tell us about the Shark Tank. For, for people in the UK, there's a, a, a very similar show called The Dragon's Den. How did you get on there and what happened? Yeah, so I think Dragon's Den was actually the precursor to Shark Tank uh, up in Canada uh-huh. and, and in the UK and a few other countries it was airing in. So yeah, Shark Tank is a very similar concept. And I was actually approached by a casting agent for the show. I just got a phone call one day saying, hey, we read about your business and Forbes or entrepreneur or somewhere. And we think mm-hmm. you'd be a great candidate for the show. And I, w- the show was in probably its fourth season at that point in the United States. And I was a big fan of it. So I thought it sounded like a lot of fun. So my business partner and I made the decision to go on the show. And what happened? We were offered deals from four of the five sharks Crying. and okay. we ended up on the show, closing a deal with two of them. Although then when we were going through all of the kind of due diligence period after the fact, we decided not to go through with the deal in real life. Do you know, it uh, it, it upsets me. It's, um, it's a fairly common story. I had someone on, on the last series of the show here who, who similar thing, got through 
um, one accepted the offer and then it never happened. And you kind of think, I wonder how often that actually happens on those shows. But uh, but fabulous experience for you. And you've got a Guinness Book of World Records. Let's just not leave that out before we get into the business <laughs> stuff. I do, I do. Yes, when I was in college, some friends of mine and I set a Guinness World Record for the world's largest Christmas stocking. <laughs> and, you know, it's a really funny story. I was actually afraid I wasn't going to graduate because Mm -hmm. the graduate thesis project I had been working on, which was the business plan for what eventually became my business several years later, was sort of imploding a couple of months before graduation because this band that I had been following around, whose album I was going to do this deluxe package for, thereby hopefully, you know, creating a proof of concept for this product that I wanted to launch a company around, the band broke up. And so all of a sudden, this project that I had been working on for so long as my capstone was just gone. And I was like, what am I going to do? How am I going to graduate? And I had always wanted to set a world record. And so I started looking into some of the Guinness World Records that seemed attainable. And one of them was this record for the world's largest Christmas stocking. And (laughs) I was going to school in Arkansas we had just faced the devastation of Hurricane Katrina here in the States. Uh, yes. And so there were so many thousands of people displaced who were in our communities. They had, you know, fled New Orleans and they were resettling near Little Rock where I went, where I was going to school. And so my friends and I decided to create this stocking for me to hopefully graduate. <laughs> and we oh. were able to collect over 13,000 donated toys to give to people who had been displaced from the hurricane and and who otherwise needed some toys for Christmas. And uh, the final stocking was something like 55 feet tall, which I'm not, I'm not great at conversion. I don't know how many meters that is, but like. It doesn't need to, that's enormous. (laughs) Like what is that? Almost maybe almost 20 meters, something like that. Uh Um, So yeah, it was, it was a really fun experience and and very cool. And to your previous point about the deals on Shark Tank, there was a really fascinating article that Forbes did a couple of years ago that analyzed all of the deals from the U S shows. And it was something very close to two thirds of the deals that close on the show don't actually finalize in real life. And, you know, that's a little bit because you are essentially agreeing to get married on a first date on the show. And then you go on subsequent dates and it doesn't always work out. Yeah, and did some. I mean, I, I I love those programs. Um, and it's interesting watching it. You sit there with your family, and and suddenly you're an expert on absolutely everything, aren't you? You're like, my God, why are you doing? How come you, you know? Why right. have you got a plan? Why don't you know your numbers? <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Talk to me about super fans and fandom. How did you get involved in in the world of 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 fans? So I've always been kind of obsessed with this idea of what makes us love certain things. What is it that makes us root for a certain sports team or align ourselves with a certain brand or drink a particular kind of tea or soda? You know, what what causes those those synapses to fire in our brain that, that makes those points of connection? So that was something right. that I was always fascinated by. Most of my career was spent in the entertainment industry. As you mm-hmm. mentioned, I, I got my first job when I was 16 years old as a radio station mascot. And so I started spending a lot of time at concerts and live events. And it was so fascinating to me how some bands had these huge fan bases and others who were arguably just as talented, if not more talented, didn't. Mm -hmm. 
And so I started wondering, you know, what makes one band more popular than another? What makes one movie have a larger opening than another? It can't all be the marketing. There's got to be something else going on here. So I started really studying and, and honestly obsessing over this idea of fandom and what it takes to create the types of connections that create long term sustainable fan bases. And it's been so interesting to have all of this align with the rise of social media and the proliferation of, you know, having every type of media and every type of content we want at our fingertips on the internet all the time, you know, trying to figure out exactly, um, (laughs) that's my little guy we talked about before wanting to be on the show. (laughs) Sorry about that. It's lovely. So figuring out, um, you know, what makes people love what we love and to use uh, my little guy, Kato, who you guys just heard as an example, before the time he was a year old, he was really, really, really drawn to Mickey Mouse. And my Uh husband and I couldn't figure it out because, you know, we're not huge Disney fans and we hadn't done anything to knowingly expose him to Mickey Mouse or Disney, but he was just really, really, really into Mickey Mouse. And so we started trying to figure out where he would have even come across Mickey because every time we saw Mickey, you know, like in a store or um, on a commercial or something, he just was like really drawn to Mickey Mouse. And the only thing I could come up with is the diapers that we've used on him since he was born, the Huggies diapers mm-hmm. are Mickey Mouse branded. Like they have the Disney license. So I don't yeah. know if it's from seeing Mickey on his diapers from the time he was born that made him sort of recognize Mickey Mouse. And yep. I think you know, as like an 11 or 12 or 13 month old, he wasn't necessarily saying, I love Mickey Mouse. He recognized Mickey Mouse. And so in this world of disorder where it's just like all chaos around him all the time, he was acknowledging the fact that he recognized that thing, but he couldn't talk yet. So as parents, we internalized him like reaching and pointing and smiling as, oh, he loves Mickey Mouse. So we Uh then sort of perpetuated this reinforce that yeah yep. like oh well we should buy him this mickey doll and like we should get him this mickey shirt and we should do you know mickey 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 his first birthday party was mickey mouse because at the party store he went up to a mickey thing and we were like oh he must want a mickey mouse birthday party so yep. just things like that of it's it, it's so fascinating how recognition and identity and you know, all of these things are tied into these properties and brands and products that we love. So that's what I've been researching and studying for the past several years. And now spend the majority of my time doing keynote speaking and writing on the subject, because as I said, it's something that to me is just so completely fascinating because as humans, we sort of choose these groups to self-select into. And if you can work out, if you're a business and you can bottle that stuff, you're going to be a massive success, aren't you? Yeah, and that's that's really the number one determinant and how successful a business is going to be is if you can create customers that create more customers for you, yeah. everything else is going to take care of itself. And at its its base level, that, that's really a super fan. A super fan is a customer that's creating more customers because they're out there advocating on your behalf as part of their everyday life. So it's it's we're talking about word of mouth times a thousand, really high level stuff. Where does the engagement piece then fit in with that? So the engagement is so important, 
Every business needs to have a fan engagement strategy, whether they're B2B or B2C. You've got to figure out how you are making your customers feel like part of your story. So the way super fandom really happens is when you can connect your story. So whether that's your brand story, your product story, whatever it is that you're trying to sell, the story of that, when you can connect it to the story of your customers, to where they see those points of overlap, that's where fandom really begins to happen. So give us an example of, of a business that we all might know where that you, you think that's done incredibly well. So let me, let me think. I'm, try, I'm trying to think about like with your listeners being all over the world, what's like a global brand. Oh, it doesn't brand. matter. Well, anywhere in yeah, the world. A, a global brand that people might recognize. Well, let me ask you this. What are, what are some of your favorite brands? I have a real mix of fans. I mean, I, I love businesses who really look after people so um, and businesses who go out of their way to delight. Um, and I talk a lot about that on this show. You know, so Disney is obviously, you know, the, the, the leading light in a lot of that. I'm an absolutely massive fan of Amazon and the way that they work with people. Um, but then I really like the, you know, the little grocers in our village where, you know, the, they know you, they t- chat to you, they they, you know, engage with you. Um, because they just have that kind of style about them. Um, yeah, and I would say the common thread between all of those businesses you mentioned, whether it's the giant ones like Disney or Amazon or the local grocer, it's that you feel connected, right? You know yeah. how that brand fits into your story, and that's really what it's all about. So in terms of some examples that I could give, one company – that does an amazing job here. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you guys have them, um, but it's a company called Chewy.com. And it's a- uh, no, we were talk- I was talking only a couple of weeks ago about Chewy. It's not here in the UK yet, but it sounds amazing. I, it probably will be at some point. And Chewy is an online pet food retailer. And yeah. about two and a half years ago, my husband and I got a couple of rescue puppies. We knew nothing about dogs. We knew nothing Fantastic. about you know, anything. We had never had dogs before. And one of our puppies just kept having horrible digestive issues. We couldn't Mm -hmm. find a dog food that wouldn't upset his stomach. And we had really no information on his background or his breed or anything like that because he was was Mm -hmm. a rescue dog. So we, you know, we ended up doing a DNA test, but like while we were waiting on all that to come back, we were just you know, constantly at the vet trying to get him to be able to keep anything down. And finally, the vet recommended this prescription dog food. And so I was looking online to see where I could find this prescription dog food. And Chewy was one of the first results that came up. And so I ordered the food and there was a little note that said, you've got to send your prescription in. And so Mm -hmm. I sent a super simple email, just, you know, hello, here's the prescription for this order. Thanks so much. And the email that I got back from the customer service rep immediately, by the way, like within a couple of minutes, was mm-hmm. so fun and so personal that it kind of stopped me in my tracks. She's And it, it was very short. It was, you know, hello, Brittany. Thank you so much for sending Bear's prescription. And I thought, yeah. wow, I didn't mention my dog's name was Bear. She actually looked at the prescription and acknowledged my dog by name in her response. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And then there was all this fun language she had used. So she had said, you know, if you need anything, we're here 24-7, simply bark in our direction. And she signed the email something like over and snout. 
And it was so fun. And it was, you know, things like that, that don't take really any extra time at all and don't cost any money, but they infuse the point of connection between your story and your customer story. So for Chewy, that's, you know, their story is we love pets and their people. And yep. no, for their customers, the customer story is I love my pet and my pet is the most important pet in the world. You know, to me, yep. my, my pet matters more than any other pets. So of the course. connection points, being able to show that, hey, we love your pet too, is what Chewy really, really excels at. So doing things like, you know, beyond the fun language in the marketing emails, sending mm-hmm. handwritten notes for pets' birthdays, sending fun, surprise and delight things in the mail, whether that's a box of toys, whether that's, um, you know, I actually was lucky enough to receive these beautiful hand-painted portraits of my dog after being a customer for a few months. Like one day, all of a sudden, these portraits of my dogs just showed up in the mail. And I was like, wow, this is so fantastic. And just doing little things like that to show your customers not only do you care about them as it relates to the fact that they're doing business with you, but you care about them beyond that, right? Like you're not just coming to them when you need them. You're not only reaching out when you want them to spend money with you. You're finding ways to show through active acknowledgement that you appreciate them and validating important events or things or people in their lives. And I, I, you know, it, it sounds. I, I mean, I, I firstly, I hope Chewy comes here, um, but I will still go down to the local pet food shop because I love the people there. Um, but I also, it, it's, it sounds. I'm thinking about it, thinking, okay, well, you know, we love do- people who love dogs, are the best people in the world. That's the first important point to make. Right. Um, dog people are just great. But if you you know, it's easy to identify how do I how do I light the eyes up on somebody who loves dogs. You know, I've got a we I've, I've talked on the on the first or se- first series I think of the podcast um, to um, to Dutch von Summeren who started a, a business here called the Bike Shed, which is it's a very cool um, restaurant, come bike shop, uh, or you know, it's motor motorcycle culture, and it's for people who love motorbikes and people who love people who love motorbikes, right? And so for that, it's it's easy to kind of identify how he does that, and he's just opened in in Los Angeles and I think San Diego as well. Um, but if I've just got an other kind of business, it does it doesn't revolve around you know something lovely and cute like a dog. Where do I start, Brittany? When I'm sitting in my office and I'm looking at the walls thinking, I really need to understand my customer's story better. I need to engage with them better. Where do I start with that? So I always tell people the way that you start is first by getting a really great sense of your own story. I am always absolutely floored by the number of business owners or sales executives who can't answer the question, why are you the very best person for me to work with? Right. People are unable to tell me why they're the best option. And as a consumer, when someone can't tell you why you're the best option, what's your automatic response? Like in your head, you're thinking, oh, they must not be the best, right? Like if they can't explain to me or articulate Mm -hmm. why they're a better choice than their competitors, they must not be. So the first thing is start with your own story. Understand what it is that drives you, motivates you, sets you apart, makes you uniquely qualified to service your customers in the very best way. 
And really, you know, one exercise that is helpful in this is like, think back on childhood. You as a person, what did you love? What brought you joy? What did you excel mm-hmm. at? Because the answer could be different for everyone, right? Some people, yeah. Yeah. Uh, some people might say, I really, really love education and I am more educated than anyone else in my market. I'm going to be able to answer every single question. I have my finger on the pulse of every single thing that's happening versus somebody else in that exact same industry might say, I love people. I am a people person. I am going to, you know, take your call 24 hours a day. Uh, if mm-hmm. you want to communicate via messenger or WhatsApp or phone call or text, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be there for you. I am going to be like your best friend, right-hand person. So those are right. very different value propositions, right? So they may be targeting from the same broad customer base, but they're naturally going to attract different people based on their skill sets. So I think the number one thing for people to do is to really figure out their superpower. Like what are they better at than anybody else? Because once you know that you can stop trying to compete on everything instead of trying to be the smartest and the most personable and the most social and like all of these other things at the same time, you can really lean into that one thing that you know, you can become the best in the world at. So that's be great at the thing you're great at. Right. The thing that you're great at, the thing that sets you apart, the thing that people tell their friends about you, right? What is it that you can, you can compete and win on. And then the second part is really understanding that each customer has their own unique story. So especially for people who are working in service businesses or B2B businesses where it's like a more high touch sale or a longer sales cycle, it's knowing that you can't just treat every customer the same way, or you can, but you're not going to be Mm -hmm. as successful as if you take the time to really listen to and understand the needs of your customers. There's a really great quote from Oprah, um, in her final TV show that she did, she's, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have it in front of me, but she said something along the lines of, I've talked to over 30,000 people in my career and every single one of them wanted the exact same thing. And that was to be validated. People want to know that you see them, you hear them and what they say matters to you. And if you can show them that those things are true, if you can validate their fears, their questions, their concerns, their ideas, you're going to find so much success because not only are you making them feel seen and heard and understood, but you're able to offer a much better value proposition because you're adjusting your own sales pitch or your own story to exactly what their needs are. So you're, you're offering something that's personalized rather than saying, here's my one size fits all sales solution for everybody. So those are for sure. The first two steps is, you know, understanding your own story, understanding your customer story. And then step number three, just being very open to personalizing your process to connect with those people as the opportunities present themselves. Because if you take the time to listen to people, they tell you what, what they want. Like people yep. will share so many cues about what's going to really take them from like an average experience to just a wow over the top experience that if you're paying attention and you're listening to those cues, you can deliver five-star service every single time. And listening is the number one sales skill, isn't it? 
A hundred percent. I would go beyond and say beyond um, it being the number one sales skill. It's one of the number one life skills because yeah, if yeah. you can if you can train yourself to become a great listener and to really listen with empathy and respond, you're going to be so much more successful in every single thing that you do. It's really um, it's fascinating hearing what you're saying because it resonates so so enormously with well, anyone listening or, or will understand because customers love to be understood. It's nice. It's one of those things that you hear when when you do feedback with customers and ask them, you know, why do you work with so and so? They understand us. They get us. They provide us with you know what we need because they know us. Um, and in, in B two B, so many businesses don't do that. What what stops them? You know, I think a lot of it is overwhelm. It's people saying, I've got so many things on my plate and so much to do. And a lot of the people that I work with are so concerned about technology, right? They're so concerned about all of these new tools that they're constantly having to learn or that they have at their disposal. Mm -hmm. But what I always tell people is don't worry about the how. You know, if how is the channel, I don't care if you're talking to somebody on a phone call or on Instagram, or in a direct email funnel, it does not matter. The how is not important until you have nailed your who and your why. And the who is your customer's story, and the Mm -hmm. why is your story. And if you don't know those two things, if you can't clearly articulate where those two things overlap, and how you are able to improve the life of your customer with your product or service, the how Mm -hmm. is never going to matter. No amount of automation, no amount of you know, CRM tools, no amount, no amount of advertising budget is going to help you break through because the how is completely, completely inconsequential if you haven't nailed your who and your why. You know, you, while you're talking there, I was thinking there's a great quote from uh, Gary Vaynerchuk early in his career that said that effort matters more than most people want to admit. Um, you know, doing things for people and taking the time to understand that effort is really important, isn't it? It's very important because what you're doing when you take the time to understand someone is you're you're showing them that you're giving your time to them. And time is the most precious, valuable resource that any one of us has. So when we show somebody else that we've taken the finite amount of time that we have to give something to them or do something for them, we're, mm-hmm. what we're saying is, you know, I appreciate you. I acknowledge you. I'm happy that you're part of my life. And even if that's not on the surface, I think all of us intuitively, instinctually as humans, we recognize that. We recognize that someone has taken the time to acknowledge us and it makes us feel good. And those are the types of things that over time lead to these incredible connections. And that's why I always say you can't buy super fans It's absolutely impossible. You cannot pay someone to love you. You're not going to improve someone's opinion of you based on the amount of money you spend. How you are going to start to change people's hearts and minds is by making them feel appreciated, by validating their concerns, by listening to them, by showing them that they matter to you. And that's often not through money, which is great news for for those marketers out there (laughs) or those business uh, business owners out there that don't have huge budgets. When you talked about technology before and automation, it's obviously a big topic. People are talking about AI all the time. We're forever being, you know, focused at chatbots these days rather than phoning into companies and, 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 you know, the automation of service that way. 
it's good in some ways, isn't it? But how's it? How can we improve it? How can we? If I'm looking at my business again and I'm thinking, right, I want to try and streamline some of this stuff. I want to make it a bit better. I've heard about all this technology. What what should people be looking at, and what should people be ignoring? So that's a great question. And when it comes to customer service, technology is great until it isn't, right? <laughs> All of us okay. are, are quite happy with our chatbots until we need a human. And I yep. think it's, you know, a lot of times people have this fear that technology is going to replace people. And I don't think that's going to happen in our lifetime, especially in customer relations and customer service related fields, which mm -hmm. I always say every person in your business is in customer service, whether it's in their title or not, because yep. any single person at your company is likely going to be the first um, the first impression and sometimes the last impression that's made on a potential customer, right? Mm -hmm. Any single person at your business has yep. the ability to either create or chase off a customer. So that's the first thing. But I don't think that in our lifetime, technology is going to replace humans. What I do think mm -hmm. is that humans who do not embrace technology will absolutely be replaced by humans who do embrace technology. So if you are in a sales role or a customer service role, finding out Figuring out ways that you can automate parts of your job and parts of the customer journey is a wonderful tool because what that does is free up more of your time to focus mm -hmm. on the things that only a human can do. So if you're spending less of your time worrying about follow-ups because you've got all of that automated or you're spending less of your time, you know, emailing back and forth about when the next meeting is going to be or, or whatever, like all of the little tasks that we can automate, what that uh -huh. ultimately does is save you five minutes here, 10 minutes there, 15 minutes there that you can reinvest into doing things that technology is not yet able to do, whether that's picking up the phone and calling someone, whether that's sending them a card to acknowledge an award they just received or a birthday mm -hmm. or an anniversary or something like that. That is the way that we can leverage technology to improve customer service. Nobody ever became a super fan because of, you know, like some automation sequence they were dumped into, right? <laughs> but exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those automation sequences may have freed up time for uh -huh. a human to then go above and beyond by sending something that really turns somebody's day around. I love what you just said then about the phone and cards. There, what am I? You know, I love. Uh, there's nothing nicer than someone taking the time to pop a card in the post to pick up the phone and say hi. You know, when I was a, when I was a very new recruitment consultant many many years ago, I was sent down to London to meet the this guy who was the kind of king at the time. Um, and he said to me, he said, "Listen, mate, this is really simple. You pick up the phone, and money comes out of it." And, you know, I've said that to so many people and on so many levels, it's true. You pick up the phone, you talk to people and your business is successful. Yeah, I, I love that phrase. I'm going to have to borrow that. I'll make sure that I, I give I give you attribution for it. But... Oh, please do. Well, it wasn't mine, but I've stolen it. And, uh, and you know what? I can't remember his name and I really wish I could because I'd love to be able to give him the credit for it. Um, but it's been so lovely chatting and I'm, I'm conscious that you've got that little, little toddler running about there in the background somewhere as well. But Brittany, could you give us just your, 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 golden nugget, your one thing, one big idea or one big action that people could do in their businesses today to make their business better for today and better for the years to come? What would that be? 
Absolutely. And this is something that I also have borrowed from someone else. It's from, it's from a book, but it's this idea of the platinum rule. Are you, are Uh you familiar with the platinum rule? I am, but tell us because there'll be plenty who aren't. Okay. So many of us grew up with the golden rule, which says to treat others the way you want to be treated, which Mm -hmm. is good to a certain extent. But what the platinum rule says is treat others the way they want to be treated because every person has their own unique set of beliefs and values and experiences and a background that makes them unique. And because of that, not everyone wants the same things that you want. Not everyone is coming to a situation with the same feelings and thoughts and experiences as you. So by taking the time to understand what it is that your customer, each individual customer wants, and by acknowledging and fulfilling those requests, that's how you really show someone that they matter. That's how you really let them know that they are the most important customer in your life at the moment by treating them, not how you want to be treated, but how they want to be treated. Brittany, that is awesome. Thank you so, so much. And good, good luck in uh, in seven weeks time. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. And thanks again for having me on. Brittany's plain a pleasure. I hope you really enjoyed this episode of the Only One Business Show and I look forward to sharing your company again very soon. If you'd like to subscribe, please do so wherever you pick up your podcasts and in the meantime, have a great day. Bye for now.